Hello and welcome to a Joyful Pause podcast. My name is Nicole Taylor, author of the book A Joyful Pause, and I am so excited to have my friend Susan X. Jane here with me today. Hey, Susan. Hey, Nicole. So happy to be here with you. You're here. Yay. Let me tell, <laughs> Let me tell people about your awesomeness. Um, and of course, a bio cannot fully capture that, but here we here we are. This is the way that we do that. Susan X. Jane is the principal of Navigators Consulting. Susan is a skilled facilitator, trainer, and coach with experience in organizational development and strategic planning. She has over 25 years of experience working in mission-focused organizations, supporting communities to create change, and training leaders ready to take on the challenges of our times. And you can find Susan, which I know you're going to want to after you hear her brilliance, at culturenavigators.com. Okay, we got the business stuff done. How you doing? I'm good. I'm good today. I'm good, and I'm really happy to be here with you. How are you doing? I'm doing well. We are post-eclipse, uh, and um, this morning everything is sunny here in Philadelphia. I had a really good meditation, and now I get to talk to you for the next hour. So it's pretty It's a right. good day. Yeah, it's, it's a good day. Hard. All right. Awesome. So um, what I wanted to talk to you about, and I'll put this in the show notes so that people can read it, but I wanted to talk to you about... Um, something that's been on my mind and that has been on your mind as well because you wrote a really brilliant article about it and that is that we recently experienced the kind of three-year anniversary of the COVID pandemic and not and I don't say that as if it's over I'm actually unclear on what the status is um but at the same time three week three-year anniversary of us all being kind of in the house and as I look at the world today and things that I'm seeing on social media and paid media and just in my own life and my own experience, it feels like something pretty significant happened in terms of the world as we know it changed. And I don't know that as a collective we've ever really felt the fullness of that and come out on the other side of like a, that happened feels like we're, I see a lot of heightened emotion. I see mm-hmm. a lot of, uh, reactivity. Mm-hmm. I see a lot of finger pointing and it's not that that wasn't already there, but it feels like that's kind of on steroids. Mm. And so what I love about your piece and your recent exploration is that it feels like it invites us to just kind of contend with the realness and fullness of what happened. So we'd just love to have you start off with like, what are your thoughts about this three-year anniversary and what inspired you to reflect on it at all? I think that's the, that's what inspired me is that we were uninspired to reflect on it. I mean, here is this this experience that we all had, uh, a really big experience. And to not commemorate it uh, or reflect on it uh, seemed uh, strange to me. Um, That as a culture, as we were approaching that anniversary, and really, like you said, it wasn't just a day, it was like a whole season of, of change, you know, and that there was just so much silence around it, you know, I... I thought about after 9-11, how in the years after 9-11, the amount of attention and awareness and focus that we brought to that day to thinking about processing it together and retelling the story so we had some chance to make meaning out of what happened and to, to get a sense of culturally what did that mean to us. And then to have this thing that was you know, arguably even bigger than that, this worldwide event. And as a as a world to be so exhausted by what happened that we didn't even reflect on it was um, was 
amazing to me. Um, and I think it says something about what we're at. Like you said, the vibes are very high. I feel like in my experience, uh, people's bandwidth is very low because we've been just surviving for years now. And because there was no, like we didn't call it, it wasn't like a baseball game where we could say like, here, it ended, you know? And so it's Uh like, did it end? Did it not end? So we can't even commemorate it because we don't know if we're in it or if it's over and so you know I just thought here is this this thing that happened to me that I'm commemorating in my own like oh wow hey look it's that date um it's that time of year like remember when that happened that was crazy and I thought um why not share that thinking with other people because maybe other people are also thinking it's it was it was a lot to process I find myself still making meaning of it now. So for me to reflect on it is to be able to to look and say over or not, let me look back at the distance of what happened and what's happened since then and what does that mean personally and what does that mean for us as a culture and then what does it mean that we're not even talking about it? Um, so all of that was kind of roiling around in my mind, keeping me up at night. So I was like, well, I better write this down because my head is getting heavy with all these thoughts of it um, and all these memories. So, yeah, so that's what inspired me to to think about it. Um, and, uh, you know, and then we had talked about it as well. I think it was on the minds of people in their day to day conversations. Um, and I just wanted to bring that to a bigger dialogue. Yeah, I love that. And as you were talking about kind of the uh, putting that next to 9-11, it kind of something crystallized in my mind of, oh, you know, there was a visual, like we saw that. And with COVID, because of how media has become split, in terms of where people are getting their information, you could be watching one thing that's showing you that people are dying and that's keeping count of that every day. And then you could be watching a completely different piece of, you know, a different media outlet that's not talking about it much or is underplaying it or is saying, you know, it's liberals freaking out. And so to what extent does the kind of widening gap between shared reality impact our inability as a culture to just say, hey, that happened, that was hard, or that wasn't for some people. Um, But, you know, like, do you think that that plays a role? Yeah, uh, how can we come to a shared story because we don't agree on what happened or why it happened or how it happened or who did what to whom? and who was right and who was wrong and there is no answer i mean this ain't an episode of dateline where you know we know how the story is going to unfold and so it's easy to tell and i think that the amount of like think about the amount of mental energy to really make sense out of everything that happened you know after a while you're like i'm tired and i need a nap and a snack and i can't do this anymore and i think that's what happened to us like as a culture we just were like whoo i gotta go like lay down for a little bit and just do something else because it's so it's so heavy and it was so all-encompassing you know like we we can think back to like where was i in that moment and i wrote a little bit about like going back into that memory which was so unpleasant so i was like i see why people don't want to do this this is really like it was really traumatic you know um and so you know i can see why people don't want to do it and also um it it touched so much of the world that we were in and i think you know, the world was one way and then the world closed. And you're like, oh, I didn't think the world could do that. I didn't think we, should, we could yeah. just shut up shop, you know? And so how do you make meaning of that? And it was geopolitics and it was thinking about inequality and, you know, all of the door dra- dash drivers that were out like delivering the world. So like we even had different experiences of it. So I understand why it's so hard to make meaning of. And 
it's the biggest thing that happened in all of our lives. Like, you know, I don't remember when you were a kid and older people would be like, when they shot JFK, I was like, it's like burned into their memory. And then for us, it was like, where were you on 9-11? Again, it's like burned into your memory. And then here's this thing that's burned into all of us that we just don't take out and talk about. And it's like, ooh, that seems like something that is going to get stuck in there and just echo for generations. Like, how do we deal with that, you know? Um, And I guess you start by just looking at it, right? Yeah. So where were you? Where were you when you were like, when you got the news that like, oh, at such and such time, it's you you got to go home <laughs> yeah it was um i like i i feel like i have two experiences of the beginning like mm-hmm. i remember um like really clearly in december being on the phone with a friend of mine um he was out in california my friend rick what up rick and um we were t- we were on the phone together and we were talking and we both happened to be watching the news And I don't know which one of us said, yo, are you seeing the story out of Wuhan? Because there was a reporter on, you know, NBC or whatever, and Wuhan was shutting down. And this reporter was trying to get on a train to get out of the city before they quarantine the city. We're both watching the newscasts. And, you know, the reporter's reporting, and we're used to reporters like, keeping their cool and being like, hey, I'm on the scene. You know, this reporter was in a panic. You could see the intensity of their fear, like, oh, my God. And we were on the phone. I was like, that doesn't look good. And he's like, that's coming our way. I was like, what the fuck is that? Like, that mm-hmm. that does not look like, like something that is just going to blow over. So I remember that moment, and then nothing happened for so long. You know, think about mm-hmm. how much of the the pandemic was about just sitting and waiting and waiting and waiting or being in your house and nothing's happening, you know? So it's like this, this nothing happened for a long time. And then um, in the beginning of March, I was uh, working with iThrive, with this organization, iThrive. Um, Shout out iThrive. And Susan, how you doing? And um, (laughs) we were supposed to be going to South by Southwest. And I remember really clearly there were only like 36 people that had died, a really small number. But the city of Austin, the the community in Austin was like, please don't come to our city because this virus is starting to crop up. And if all these people fly in from all over the country and the world to our city, like we don't know if we have the public health infrastructure to deal with it. And, you know, we were weighing, well, it's only 36 people that are dead, but wow, this seems to be coming serious really rapidly. And that was the first cancellation. And that was on like a Wednesday or Thursday, we decided, okay, we're not gonna go. And then within a week, a full calendar of events throughout the entire year were just gone. And that whole week, just watching things get wiped off my calendar day by day by day was like, oh, my God, something something really serious is happening. It's like watching the water recede before the tsunami. You're like, oh, my God. Yeah. And then and then that night in the supermarket, my friend called uh, my friend Domain called. Um, shout out Domain, and was like. She had heard from somebody who was in public health, who was in all of these state meetings, that they were going to shut the state down. And you're like, what What does that mean? You're going to shut the state down. So um, I watched The Walking Dead. I know the drill. Um, and I had taught <laughs> about the apocalypse. So I had kind of these rules that were in my mind of how to deal with, uh, you know, this kind of apocalyptic crisis. So you hunker down, you get all your food and medicine, you go to the grocery store, you get dog food. And so I automatically just started moving like, all right, let me just do all these things. And there was like something in me that knew how to hunker. Um, And in the grocery store, you know, I talked about that in the article. It was just a bizarre experience. That was the moment that I was like really afraid. Like, what does this mean? Because it was silent. Everyone's Uh in the store. We were all afraid of each other because we didn't know how you got the disease or how how transmissible it was. And it was so quiet. And uh, across the street from this particular grocery store, there was a house fire. 
So there were all these fire trucks. So the whole grocery store is lit up with blue and red lights just to add oh, to the wow. fear. Yeah. And and it's just and it's silent. And I will never forget hearing Manic Monday just quietly tinkling above this silent store with everybody just moving, moving, moving. And I was like, yo, this is like this is real. This is happening. Um, and and that is, you know, I mean, that lives in my body. It's not a memory. It's really in the body. So like, where were you? Where were you when you knew? Oh, this is it. Yeah. Um, first of all, I just have to, like, you are such an amazing storyteller. Like, that was real, but I was like, uh-huh, uh-huh. Like, you're just so good at communicating um, your experience oh, and you. just the, yeah, the, um, how real that was. Um, so for me, I I went to India in the beginning of, middle of February. I went to India for some uh, deep practice with the Himalayan Institute and was barely on the internet, was really just like in our shrine. We were doing fire ceremony, like we were in our practice. And so at toward the end, somebody was like, oh, did you see this? Like, There's a lot of stuff going on with this COVID thing. And it was surreal to me because we had been so removed from media that my initial response was just like, oh gosh, they're just, they'll do anything for clicks. Like just mm. thinking that there was a bigger deal being made out of something than there needed to be. Mm -hmm. And, um, and then I flew home and, you know, Ambrose was like, oh, I wonder if we should like, I, I stocked up on canned goods. He's, he's like you with like, he's got a plan. <laughs> We know got the a deal. plan and yeah, I don't know. It's got some real prepper tendencies. Um, and so, and I was just like, oh, come on. I think it's just kind of getting blown out of proportion. And it really was just because I hadn't been dosed with, you know, oh, more people are dying or people are getting sick or they don't know what to do. It just felt like a story. And then once I was home for a week and I started reading about it, it was like, oh, wow, maybe I'm, maybe I am being a little too detached. Maybe this thing is real. And I remember we worked together at iThrive and I remember when that decision was made thinking like, oh, is this, are people just being a little like conservative or is this thing? So much of my experience was a question of, is this real or is this being blown out mm. of proportion until more data started to come that was like, it very much is real. And um, mm -hmm. and so that was the surreal part of like being on a kind of an information blackout and then trying to make sense of it was mm -hmm. much of how that was for me. And we had a friend who was pregnant and close to her due date and she was going to live with us for a couple of weeks, um, because she was going to go live with her mom after she had the baby and the lease was ending anyway, TMI, but Basically, she was living with us, and we're all watching the news at night, like, what the fuck? Is this actually happening? And she's like, how am I having a baby at the beginning of a pandemic? It just added another layer of, like, life, reading about life being lost and this big question mark of what was going to happen at the same time I'm sitting next to my friend on the couch who's about to pop, you know? And mm -hmm. ultimately, wow. when we learned that, oh, okay, hey, like, on starting this day, you need to shelter at home. And she had a doctor's appointment and they were like, if you stay here, you will have to have your baby by yourself. And maybe you can FaceTime, you know, your mom or the baby's dad, but they're not going to be allowed in with you. And there was another hospital up by her mom where, where one or two people would be allowed in. So really quick, she had to move out of our house up to her mom's house so that she could have the baby where she could actually have some familial support and thank God, wow. because like two days after that, she, um, she had Eliza. So it mm. just was like an odd, yeah, it was a really odd. And I remember Ambrose and his brother went to Costco and I was at that point fully informed and also scared. I was like, mm. are you wearing a mask? Mm. You know, they're double masking and they've got latex gloves on. It was just like, very surreal and always the question of is this an overcorrection or is this exactly what we need to be doing um mm -hmm. 
And then as the news rolled in of all of the people who were dying, I was like, oh, that was not an overcorrection. That was very mm-hmm. much um, what needed to happen. But it also, like, spiritually, I felt like, oh, you know, you have this concept of impermanence and you have this concept that there is no ground. We're making it up in order to not freak out. But then, like, it actually happened. Like, we were shown mm. that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's it's kind of funny, though, because it's like it took long for it to develop. And it's it's kind of like life as well, where you know there's just this this process and this is the way it goes, but then you're like, really? Is that is that really the way it's going to be? And uh, I'm mindful how many times we've used the word real. And that mm-hmm. like is still the question, like what what's real? Like what what really happened or, you know, what is the reality of it? And is it really over? And, you know, what is real is the essential question underneath all of it. Um, mm-hmm. And that I think we're still grappling with, you know, and we we live such a such a a structured life we have so many systems in place that just dictate how we move through the world all the time and you know there is an impermanence to that there is an unreality to everything that we hold dear and real and true and and to have all that upended in this moment and the unreality of our reality come into play. There's like all these layers and you're like, yeah. oh, I don't even know. Like, what do you grasp onto? You really feel the drift of being freed from all of these things that we use to to create a false sense of security in our day-to-day world. Mm-hmm. 100%. Um, mm-hmm. And as you're saying that, I'm like, Oh, right. And then we had that. And then we also had the kind of additional pandemic of white supremacy in America. And what happened when people saw what, when people saw the police kill George Floyd, you know? And Mm. in your writing about that you mentioned that as the second apocalyptic writer and I just thought bringing in this idea first I want to hear what you mean by that and then I want to talk a little bit about um, associations with that word apocalypse Mm -hmm. well it was it was we had one pandemic and then this other thing came along. Um, second writer, I say like really the first writer, right? Because this is a country that was built on the precepts of white supremacy, you know, just ideologically, not from like, oh, you're big meanies, but like that's the structure of the country is this idea that some people are better than others. And that that is, that is a truth that will continue to, shape and misshape this country until we face into it you know um and and that's what i mean by by apocalypse you know apocalypse literally translates to in unveiling and i think we we associate it with the end of the world or you know the apocrypha like the books of the bible that deal with the end so we always think of it as an ending but it is just an unveiling it is a deeper layer of awareness where all of those those structures that you put into place to make you feel like you're in control of what's happening to you, they all get stripped away and you face into the deeper truth that you you don't know how you got here or or where you're going or what it is even that you are you know what are you in is it a universe is it a multiverse you know um, and all these big questions that we don't attend to all of a sudden are, are right there. And then also all the little questions about what kind of world did we build and why is it like this? And I think there was a lot of questioning for all of us um, during the pandemic. I don't think that the murder of George Floyd would have garnered the kind of response that it that it did if we weren't in uh, quarantines, if we weren't in lockdowns. Um, mm-hmm. Because those those murders at the hands of police have continued since that day and you know what is it that made 
that so, you know, visceral. It, it was the video. So it was, you know, the, the media uh, gives us an ability to be in that moment in ways that we normally would not be. Um, and we also were really primed with a message that we have to stay together, that we're in it together, that we have to rely on each other. And I think that that is a countercultural message in uh, in our culture. We're a very individualistic culture. And so people were really open because something massive is happening and the energy is huge in the world. And then all of that energy like glommed onto this event that we might otherwise, I think, have looked away from. So we had Ahmaud Arbery was killed in the video that is released in February. Uh, Breonna Taylor is killed in March and then here comes George Floyd in May. So I feel like the, the triplicate of the events also kind of draws your attention and it, it, um, it makes me think about this line from, um, Black Star where, uh, most deaf says it's like the second plane that hits the tower. It's not the first one. When the, you see the second one, you're like, holy shit, something is happening. And I think that there was just so much attention uh, that was available to people. There was so much bandwidth because we're all stuck in our houses looking for anything to to distract us. And then here comes this video and we can all say, wow, that looks really wrong. That doesn't look right. And if we're all supposed to be in it together, like we've all got to respond to this. Um, and day by day, you are just seeing these these statistics, these numbers that really are people and you can't do anything to stop this blossoming of these numbers of dead people every day. But Jesus, we could do something about this one because it's right in front of us and there are calls, there are demands to do something and those demands seem righteous. So like, let's lean into that. Um, you know, and, and also let's get out of the house and let's all do something together. Um, because we've been in quarantine for, you know, we've been in quarantine for weeks at that point. So there were so many things at that moment in time that created this confluence that, um, we, we haven't repeated since, despite the fact that police continue to kill people at an at a rate that accelerates year over year over year in this country. Um, so it was really a moment that that called us. And, you know, what did we do with this moment? Um, that's another story, right? Yeah. I mean, just every where you turned was another organizational manifesto about um, being anti-racist. And a lot of people, you know, Black Lives Matter had been out there, but now it was new to some and mm -hmm. there was such a galvanizing around this. And then, you know, here we are three years later and it's just, some of it was real. And I think a ton of it was just lip service. And I, and I hate to say that because I don't want to be, um, cynical. And at the same time, like, it's still happening. So that's our proof that not much changed, you know? Hmm. I mean, I, I feel like in that moment, I, in that moment, I choose to believe in the sincerity of people. I think that people look, you watch the video and you think that's just plainly wrong. That is, that is not what the rules are supposed to be in this country. And I think people were sincere about that. I think people sincerely would like to be in a, to live in a country where we live in solidarity with people. That's, that's not what it is. Um, and I think, you know, white supremacy as a structure, as a system has many, many hands that keep it going. And it also has processes in place that are, that make it viral, you know, white supremacy reproduces white supremacy. So to just go out into the streets and say, we want a more equal country, isn't going to do it. You have to unknit all of the stitches of white supremacy that have been created over centuries. And it's, it's just so, so much um, that I think when we say that we're committed, we're not always aware of the kind of work that that takes. You know, I think 
doing DEI work, you go into organization, they make a commitment. All right, we don't want it. We want to be an anti-racist organization. You say, great, let's start doing the work. And then there's like, all right, well, when will we be done? And it's like, you won't. And, you uh-huh. know, it, it becomes exhausting. It's fatiguing. It's hard because it is, it's relational. It's about community building. It's about caring when you are in a rush or undoing ways of being that are in the world all around you. So, you know, how do you act differently and out of step with a world where power imbalances are the norm? Um, it, it's extremely difficult work. And I think that people get tired. Um, you know, you think, well, we're going to go out there, we're going to march and we're going to stop having hashtags and names and we're going to stop having to respond to it. And, and you don't. You know, and Mm -hmm. I think that that's I don't think it's a lack of sincerity all the time, although sometimes (laughs) I don't think it's a lack of sincerity all the time. But I think it is a a desire to see the end of it. And we might not, even if we work our whole lives, you know, Um, I I share this a lot because I, I, too, sometimes wish it would end and that we would see the kind of gains that we want to see, but undoing systems at the level that they need to be undone is it's generational work. Um, and I think about, you know, ancestors who lived in slavery for generations, right? So if we have Mm -hmm. 12, 14 generations of black people in this country that were enslaved, what was it like to be in generation six or seven or eight? where you are so deep into the process, there is so much hurt and pain and harm and fatigue, but then you have generations to go and you're not going to see that end, but it is incumbent on you to move it from your generation to the next generation. And I think about, you know, the kind of um, both pain and strength that that requires and that that's in me and that my role is not to maybe glory in the end of it, but to push it into a place where we continue, you know, the progress. Um, but, you know, I had a lot of hope in 2020. I, I did have hope because it was just a different moment. There was just such an openness. But boy, that openness lasted about three seconds before the powers of white supremacy reassert themselves, you know, Um, and it starts to do its insidious work of dividing, of feeding us false narratives, of obfuscating, of silencing. Um, And white supremacy is incredibly effective as a system. And so here we are. Um, and now you don't even need a badge to kill black people and get away with it. They can just pull into your driveway and you feel free to shoot away. Um, so, you know, that we, not only have we not eradicated racism, but we've deputized all of these armed people who would perpetuate it. And that is, so that is disheartening for sure. Yeah. Like this Ralph Yarl story is mm. um, is really is really just kind of bringing all of that stuff back up of like okay where can where where are the rules that apply to everybody and I think that I feel like I sound like a teenager when I say that it's like a teenage aspect of me that very much wants to see fairness and justice you know mm. and has never quite made peace with that. We see pockets of that, but we don't see that just holistically on this plane, you know? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I think it shows us, you know, so you have a young black man goes to a door, gets shot. You have a young white woman in a car Mm -hmm. also shot by a homeowner. And it's Mm -hmm. like the same system of white supremacy that allows violence against black bodies engenders violence in the whole society that impacts people of all races so Mm -hmm. this this stuff that we want to stop is spreading and it's affecting everybody um and so you know we talk about being divided as a country um we may be fighting each other but white supremacy is clearly kicking everybody's ass um Mm -hmm. you know so uh but we 
it it keeps us fighting with each other rather than thinking about you know what are the kinds of systems that support the kind of communities that we want to live in for everybody i love that redirection back to it's the system um i and i also wonder about you know um part of the reflections that you've shared about the pandemic also included the idea that there's a choice before us. So I would love to hear a little bit more about the choice that you see before us as humans here on this, on this anniversary. I mean, every, every day is a million choices, right? That's we're always Mm -hmm. choosing um, again and again and again. And I think that, you know, the pandemic revealed to us that we cannot, it's not sustainable to live divided. Um, it's not sustainable to continue the systems of inequity that, that we have, you know. Um, and we have to choose to face into that, you know. So even in the choices, we get fatigued and we don't want to make them, you know. Like capitalism is like living good, man. It's good life. It's everything you want at your fingertips all the time. It's incredibly compelling. Um, and so to choose to continue to face into what was unveiled um, during the pandemic uh, is is the choice that I think is before us. And it's the choice that's before us every day. Um, I think that, you know, no, you don't have to be out in the street marching every day, but every day you have the choice to be empathetic, to be kind, to to build those bridges, to not allow the division uh, that has has ripped up that new connective tissue that we created in the pandemic to not allow that to be destroyed. Um, I don't think that we're doing a great job of it right now. I do think that people are tired, um, and I get that. Um, and you know, settling back into the comforts of capitalism isn't going to get us there. You know, um, so I think that that that's what's before us is to to not not commemorate it to to remember um you know over a million people lost their lives and those million people were were loved and cared about by the people that are all around us you know and so we can't just outsource the pain and the sadness and the loss um and we can't outsource the work that still needs to be done to repair and to bring us back together, um, you know, we we have to do all that work. We have to make that happen. Um, and I think it's hard, and I know everybody's tired, um, but, you know, just wake up today and say, I'll do a little bit. I'll do a little bit. I'll love the people around me, and I'll love them in a way that um, creates openness for people to live their truth and for people to live in communities that are safe and just, which is no small task these days, for sure. Yeah. I love this idea of, like, what you can do is bringing love and kindness into the world. Like, that is a valid response to Mm. all that has happened. And when I look at, you know, I, I literally made a list during the pandemic of like, who are the people that we want to be checking on, making sure we're in consistent communication with so that none of our people fall through the cracks, you know, because you're not going to be able to help everybody, but you can identify, okay, like this is, this is the circle of friends and family that we're just going to make sure we always have that connective tissue with. And I think the result, one of the um, kind of positive things that came from that experience was closer relationships. Mm. How about for you when you think about um, not, not not in a bright side way, but just in a, anything that has caused an effect is going to have a variety of effects. You know, something happens Mm. and a couple of different things are what are born from that. So when you think about um, how that affected 
your friendships, your relationships? Like, what do you notice? Yeah, I think that there was, they are definitely, it's funny, I was just going to say they're definitely closer. And then I was like, well, not all of them. There's like, there was like a culling process, like some that were close got a lot closer because you really had to, um, okay, hey, we rely on each other. We need to make sure that people are okay. And and so, you know, those got close. And then you're having this, like, profound experience. So you, And you're not leaving the house. So you can't be like, oh, you know, I did this today or I did that. It's just like, how you holding up, man? Like, what's happening? How's your heart? How are you feeling? So there was so much, like, really good heart talk and connection. And, you know, you're not texting people you know, about baseball scores, you're texting them, I love you, I care about you. So in that way, they got closer. And in other ways, relationships that were tangential, we were freed up from having to put the energy into those. We were really allowed to step back into our pods of the people we cared most about and to go deep instead of always being broad. Um mm-hmm. And that that definitely happened for me. And I think about, you know, my my parents are um, are older people. They don't like to be called elderly, but they're elderly. And, um, (laughs) you know, I would talk to them, you know, like kids do. I would talk to them, but not every day. And during the pandemic, it was like, I'm checking in with you every day. Like, are you all right? Especially because uh, like a lot of other older folks, I think in the beginning of the pandemic, they had a hard time wrapping their mind around like, stay home. Please stay uh-huh. the hell home, you know? Every day I'm like, what are you doing? Oh, we're going out for coffee. I'm like, stay home. <laughs> so um, so we started talking every day and now we talk every day. And there's a, a closeness there and a connection that that time invited us into that feels really wonderful and really sweet. And, I, you know, I think about how many people... I just had the opportunity to love and to and to care for, you know, from my from my little pod, you know, Um, I lived alone. So for the pandemic, I lived alone, worked remotely. And so during that time, I could be alone for uh, weeks. Sometimes I did not see people for months at a time in the very beginning. Like, I don't think I saw someone for the whole summer in person where I put my body on their body and we touched bodies. So I remember the first hug I got from uh, from Tiella, a friend of mine, she came over, I hugged her and I was just burst into tears. I was like, oh, I haven't touched a body in so long. But then there was all of this other closeness that was able to grow into that space that I find super sustaining now you know and so that was a gift of the pandemic and I'm grateful for that and you know I I cherish also some of those times that were also so difficult so I don't know that that's the complexity of it you know it both gave and take took away and it created and it destroyed like all good unveilings do you know it, it resets the board everything shuffles a little bit and then you're like all right new game let's play again Yes. And to that end, your piece ends with an invitation to rise. And I'd love to hear more about um, about what you're inviting us into. Mm. Well, early on in the pandemic, I wrote I was I was talking to my friend Becky and I was like, oh, we're going to be phoenixes. It's going to be lovely. We're going to be like pandemic butterflies of fire, some dumb stuff that I thought was like really poignant at the time and everything. And then like, you know, in the turn into 2021, when we realized oh, 2021 is going to be shit, too, I was like, OK, so first you're a phoenix and everything that you have is burned to the ground um, and you are just destroyed. OK, that's where we are. Um, and all of my Pollyanna hope of those early days had really been uh, ground into ashes by by the months in the in the meantime. Um But then to look back three years and to say, you know, I'm different, we're different, the world's different. Everything has truly changed and then not changed and is changing. Um, And I feel different in this space. And so, you know, the trick is to not stay down, you know, Um, 
a favorite quote of mine is failure isn't the falling down it's it's the staying down and so we shouldn't stay down you know like we we went through the fire like let's rise from it and you know i get needing to lay down and cry a little bit because things are really difficult um so like lay down and and cry and then keep going um and and that is the the thing about unveilings is to not let it to be the end but to let it to be a new beginning um to let it lead you into places that you couldn't go before or wouldn't go before um and you know we were stronger than we thought we were um and we have to not allow that strength to be diverted into the same systems of inequity and the same old divisions you know i mean the the algorithm that runs all of our lives um survives on conflict conflict drives eyeballs it drives awareness and we're in an awareness economy so we're often encouraged to be um deeply engaged in conflict to live our whole lives like you know on the triangle with every single individual we come into contact with and we don't have to do that you know um we we got a gift in surviving through this apocalypse and you know we have to crawl back out of the ashes of the world that we used to be in stop trying to get back into what was um and and to rise up above that and to move in to a new world that uh that I think is still coming. Yes, I have that sense too of coming out of something but not quite in the new just yet. Yeah. Yeah. And and I think that's the thing that's hard. It's like it's emerging, right? Mm-hmm. And it's like those early days of the pandemic like they shut down states and why did we argue about it because sometimes stuff would be shut down and you would not see so much outbreak there so there was a lot of it being marked by things that were unseen or things we were waiting for you know it, the first time that i really saw covid coming was in december and it wasn't until march that it started to land at my door you know mm-hmm. and so it it took a long time for that to come um and so you know i think it takes a long time for a a new paradigm to emerge um and like i said maybe it emerges you know in our lifetime or maybe it continues to shift and change <laughs> or maybe ai gets involved and it's all done by next year and we're living in like some sort of bizarre <laughs> ai controlled surveillance state you know um i don't know i think we're in the era of black swans you know those events that are hard to predict that are really tumultuous um and they seem to come thick and fast these days um so you know the goal is to try to move into this new space you know like we're like doulas right you know mm-hmm. um, yeah. in the birthing canal and it's messy and it's it's painful and it's hard um and you know and inevitable um yes so that's the rebirth is inevitable. Okay, so that um, makes me want to come to our final question. And it's a question that I end every episode with. And I'd love to hear your vision for our collective liberation. Mm, mm. That's a good question. My vision for our collective liberation I mean, what is it to be free, right? Um, It's not free from responsibility um, and it's not free from um, pain or or death or any of those processes that are unpleasant but are so much a part of life. Um, I I would really love to, I think something that I think, really care a lot about is seeing us move to a place that is less violent um and that being a doorway to a new world and and i think that that's really important because under this specter of violence that we all are living in every day you can't ever get out of being in fight or flight mode right there's always Mm -hmm. just this fear that is circulating in the environment and and it's hard to create liberatory spaces from a place of fear 
So I'd, I'd like to see us um, start to embrace tactics other than violence for resolving our issues, both at an individual and, and at a um, systemic level as well. Um, and then what does liberation look like? I, I think about it a lot. I really love speculative fiction and all those imaginings of the future. Um, and it's also hard to see because I think it has to be a world that is so different than the one I live in now that I am not sure that I have the capacity to fully see it. Um, which, which sounds a lot like a dodge to giving an answer to this, you know? Is it like everybody free? Is it no more systems of capitalism? Like, sure, of course. Is it uh, equality and equity where people can live in ways that they want to and that everybody has enough and that we live in places of abundance? Um, yes, I, I say all those words. And, you know, how does this world get to that world? It is through a change that is so massive, I think it's hard to wrap my mind around you know like how do you think of a color that you've never seen before you know um or mm-hmm. what's a sound that you've never heard it's like I don't know and I I like the openness of that um because it keeps me from being attached to what it has to be um so I I feel really easy with that and I I like to consume lots of different perspectives on what that might be. Like I said, I I really love to read speculative fiction um, and there are so many different visions of that world. Like I I read this novel called Vagabonds that was really great. Um, And uh, it was was about space, but it wasn't like an action story or anything. It was about really trying to like, how do you build a structure that is really free from all of the structures that we've had before? Um, and that's very difficult to imagine um, because we seem to be so attached to hierarchy and to power and to power over. Um, and that's the hard thing to think. I can, like, is it a big, long table where we're always all eating together? Is it the ability to be at the table or to not be at the table? Um, is it all of those things, you know? Um yeah, I'm not sure. And also that is the part that is exciting to me is that it couldn't be any one of those things. And as I move through this world that some days feels really hard, there are pieces of it that I imagine us being free from. And that um, that feels to me like hope day by day. So I like to keep my hope open and broad. Um, a, a place where people are um, free from the things that block them from being their eternal selves, from coming down into this plane and playing, you know, the biggest game that they can. Um, that would be a great start. Mm. Ashe, I love that. Mm. Mm. Thank you. Thank you. Thank, thank you. you. Thank you so much for taking the time um, to have this conversation with me. Thank you so much for inviting me in. Uh, like I said, it's it's a conversation that I wish we were having on a broader cultural scale um, because, you know, we're really have a lot of meaning making to do to understand what it is that we experienced and we are experiencing. So I'm really glad that you're making this space and I'd love to talk about this stuff with you and and to think about this stuff with you. And, and so I'm just really grateful um, for you and for you making this space to to talk about it together. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And listeners, I hope you really do take this as an invitation um, to reflect on what your experience was and how you are now. So with that, I will sign off. If you want to um, learn more about Susan, again, you can go to culturenavigators.com. Thank you so much for listening and uh, be well. Thank you.